All right, welcome back to the Movie Bible Podcast. This week, you've got myself and Brennan. Uh, Nick's busy living it up at Sundance at home. Um, so Brennan and I are talking about a little bit of the non-indie circuit stuff going on right now. Um, so just to kind of continue our trend, um, this week is the fourth episode of WandaVision dropped on Friday. Um, and this is a big shift from the first three that we've gotten so far. Uh, which I felt was really refreshing. Uh, Nick and I talked a lot last week about how for the the show to really have long-term viability, you needed something a little more direct to happen. Um, And this episode certainly went for it. Um, It gave you just enough of an explanation to be like, okay, I kind of have an idea um, what's going on here, Um, but still leaves a lot up to uh, question. Um, But I think this really, you know, they've talked about WandaVision being the, first step into phase four and i think this episode was the first episode to really feel like that and to really give you a larger universe kind of feel and it it takes big advantage of a lot of recurring characters um even some like uh darcy which we haven't seen since thor the dark world um or monica rambo who was just a kid um and captain marvel um and then even uh jimmy Wu, who's played by randall park who's just hilarious and everything um, so it was nice to see like them all come back to the universe and, and the universe really expand a little bit and then also give the show a little bit more of a foundation um, as far as the actual story goes. Because I think, you know, as much as we loved the first three episodes, they were a little light on any sort of unifying context. It was just kind of a happy half hour with Wanda and Vision. Um, so it was nice to see that. Um, and it is a little weird. I'm um, just getting to the point where like the TV show is paving the way for the movie universe, um, which is something that we haven't really seen before. You know, they had uh, agents of shield, which like never really connected. And you got all the Netflix shows that have never really connected, but now we're like fully connected to the greater movie universe. Um, so I think it's definitely going to be interesting to see how that kind of plays out um, as the Marvel universe shifts to the Disney plus Marvel universe. And then, back to the the cinematic universe itself mm-hmm. so certainly but i i haven't quite seen uh any of these episodes yet i'm gonna get on it soon because i have been looking forward to the show it's just been a little bit of a busy time just kind of watching every 2020 and kind of late 2020 release i can um but yeah i will definitely get into this at some point but it sounds good and it's nice to uh, see that they're they're taking the leaps now as you're kind of a few episodes in yeah, it's, it's definitely what the show needed, uh, but it still managed to have these little funny, just kind of oddball moments, um, which is really fun. There's a nice callback that's been all over the memes where uh, Randall Park's character does a little bit of close-up magic, um, like in Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is just a, a fun little gag to keep going. And, and just seeing uh, uh, Kat Dennings Darcy, who was, I think, one of the brighter spots in the first two Thor movies, uh, which weren't always filled with bright spots. <laughs> um so it was nice to see her back and even see her character evolve a little bit um, other than just like the gag character and just contribute a little bit more meaningfully. And, you know, that that applies to Wanda and Vision in general, who have, you know, they had pretty sizable arcs in Infinity War. Uh, but overall, they've just kind of been on the peripheral of the action. So it's nice to see the TV shows really round out a lot of these characters because they have the time to do that, um, which, you know, you don't really have when you're pumping out a blockbuster movie. Yeah, most certainly, for sure. Um, but yeah, I will I will definitely get on this soon, hopefully. So are they doing, like, is it 
two per week? Are they doing one per week, or how are they doing this? Uh, so they dropped the first two together, and then it's one per week since then. Okay, cool. But it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because it goes basically right up until the air date for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, so they're really stringing all these together, and then you know, I, I'm pretty sure there's like a new Marvel TV show dropping pretty much weekly from this point on for the rest of the year and probably for the rest of eternity at this point. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. And I mean, more, more were announced too. So, uh, it, it'll, it'll definitely get jam packed there on Disney plus. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is, that is one division. Uh, it's hard to talk about this episode without getting into any spoilers. So we'll just go ahead and move on a little bit. Um, so this week saw a ton of releases at Sundance um, and then a few minor releases um, uh, globally and nationally. Um, so kind of the big one this week is the the continuation of the HBO Max uh, Warner Brothers deal. Uh, so this was The Little Things, which stars um, actually a pretty solid cast with Denzel Washington and Rami Malek and Jared Leto um, that dropped in theaters and on HBO Max. Um, and it's I mean, it's been pretty mixed. I haven't gotten a chance to check it out yet, uh, but I've heard people that really like the visuals, um, even if they're not big fans of the script. Um, it's composed by Thomas Newman, who is one of my favorite composers, so at least that interests me at the very least. Um, but yeah, other than that, I just haven't heard anybody go crazy for this movie. Yeah, you know, uh, this movie actually was getting a lot of promos the last few weeks, so it's it's definitely one of the... Like you don't you don't really see TVs blasted too much with commercials anymore, just especially due to COVID. I think it's a little bit more rare. So it was neat to see uh, this kind of get blasted, and uh, it did make five million dollars at the domestic box office this weekend, which obviously is not a ton, but the way things are, that's not too bad at all. Um, I, I've seen mixed things as well. I haven't seen it yet, but Denzel Washington, even in a bad movie, I'd watch his bad movies because I find them entertaining. I think one that I point to is Equalizer 2, which is uh, – it's not the greatest movie, but he's fun to watch in it, and I would sit down and watch it anytime. <laughs> yeah. I mean he's always a force to watch, um, and really yeah. really, your three leads here are all pretty terrific. Um, so if nothing, you've at least got them to carry the movie. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, we won't we won't dwell on that too much. And then, of course, with Sundance, you're going to get just a slew of good movies, bad movies, and everything in between this week. Um, but there are some pretty buzzy movies. Uh, one in particular that's had buzz as long as the trailer's been out, which at this point has been probably close to a year, um, which is Judas and the Black Messiah, which is Daniel Kaluuya. A lot of people are pegging him for best actor for this performance, um, even though it actually hasn't premiered yet. Um, just based on what you can see of his character in the trailer and, and what we know about the movie and him as an actor so far. Uh, Lakeith Stanfeld is in this movie as well. Um, it's just always interesting to watch either of those two men um, in, in literally anything. Um, so this does premiere uh, tomorrow from uh, today when we're recording the podcast on Sunday. Um, so I expect to hear nothing but praise for it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I, I don't think I'll be surprised by how people react to this movie. Yeah, and you know, uh, I think the trailers have been really good for this thing. I think it looks really interesting. It definitely looks. I don't. I don't think it looks controversial, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it came out and was kind of a little bit controversial. I think back to last year's um, 
another film that kind of, I think, followed the lines of kind of a social justice uh, uh, with social justice themes in them was, uh, um, ooh, it was also with Daniel Kaluuya. Do you remember the name of that? Queen and Slim. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I could I could maybe see this because I remember that when that came out, there was a little bit of controversy out the gate. I never actually got a chance to watch it despite looking forward to it. I think I kind of just got lost in the uh, busy shuffle of the end of the year last year. But um, I remember that coming out with a little bit of controversy. So we could see something similar. I've heard rumors about that. I don't know who's seen it, but I've heard that somewhere. I remember reading that somewhere. But um, I do think no matter what, we're going to be seeing a very interesting movie, a, a layered movie, and a movie that will be fun to dissect with two fantastic leads. Yeah, I I agree. And I'm excited to see it. Um this is, it, again, it's one that's been pegged as kind of an Oscar frontrunner for a while. Um, it's coming out theatrically um, right at the edge of that release window. Um, so it's it's something that's very buzzy um, already, and I expect that hype to just carry it into award season. Yeah, no, most certainly. And it's, uh, say, so yeah, February 12th is when it's going to drop, uh, kind of on that HBO Max and uh, theaters kind of dual release. So... Uh, it'll it'll be neat to see, and I'm definitely excited. And it, it's it's awesome that we don't have to wait too long. You know, February one premieres, February twelve it drops. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's really nice. Um, especially since you know this was originally set to come out last year, so it's nice that we don't have to wait too long between its Sundance debut and when the most of the world will be able to check it out. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so there's there's that one. Um, and then another movie that I've heard a lot of hype from, um, and this just premiered yesterday um, at Sundance, I believe, which would have been uh, Saturday on the 30th, uh, is a Jason, I- Jason Isaacs movie uh, called Mass. Now, I don't know a ton about this movie, um, but I do know that everyone just seems to love it. Um, so uh, I saw a couple people comparing it to kind of uh, what Promising Young Woman was at Sundance last year, which was this movie that just kind of came out of nowhere, and everyone just loved it um, full-heartedly for, throughout the rest of the year until its premiere um, towards the end of the year last year. Um, but uh, apparently this movie is just something that everybody is just fawning over incessantly. Um, again, I don't know much about it because it just premiered at Sundance, um, but it it's something to keep an eye out for. Yeah, for sure. Jason Isaacs is a pretty good actor. Anytime I think of him, I just remember his uh, performance in The Patriot. He was such a dick in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I I always remember uh, just the way he says sticky end um, as Lucius Malfoy in the second Harry Potter movie. It's just, oh, my. It's, uh, it's just iconic. It's just latched onto my brain. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so there's that one. Um, and then one that I'm excited about is a movie called Street Gang, uh, which is about the early years of Sesame Street. So having uh, just finished all the Muppet movies earlier this month, and then um, with the announcement that the Muppet movie or the Muppet show is coming to Disney Plus in completion, I'm on kind of a Muppet high right now. So <laughs> uh, this documentary, it just looks fascinating. Um, just looking at how Brian Henson and co I'm sorry, Jim Henson and co uh, were able to build, you know, one of the most iconic 
franchises and you know root it in education and, and do it on PBS, which wasn't a very sure thing at the time. Um, so it's just it, it just fascinates me. I mean the the photo around it is the puppeteer holding Oscar the Grouch, so I don't really know what more you could want. Yeah, yeah, that does sound pretty interesting. And just just kind of on Sundance as a whole, it's weird now because you you went last year to to, uh, to Sundance, um, and it's it's now a year later. It's so weird how things have changed in the world in a year. Um, but they, they've definitely adapted, and they have all the virtual screenings. So uh, it's just kind of neat to kind of reflect on that. That three hundred sixty five days ago, you were probably in in Utah. Yeah, and it's it's obviously a very different format. You know, nobody's really in Utah this year for it. It's it's all virtual, and uh, so it's it's a very different festival. And I, I think you get a lot out of that change in the sense that it's more accessible, so people don't have to worry about travel costs and lodging and, and all that fun stuff. Um, but you're missing a lot of the meat of it, which is just standing in line for two hours and talking to some guy from a state you've never heard of, um, who's just hanging out and, and what movies they've seen and what movies you've seen and just getting to mingle with a lot of the creators and, and see, see them out and about and attend Q and A's and all that stuff. So I feel like it's definitely going to be um, a challenge for a lot of people that go adapting to that sense, because you don't have that connectivity, you know, it's just you sitting in your living room. Um, but also it is more accessible. Um, it's easier to watch more movies because suddenly you don't have to worry about seat counts and that kind of thing. Um, so it's an interesting format, and I'm curious to see what parts of it they'll keep um, going forward. So, you know, Sundance 2022, is there still going to be a virtual component, even if the world is back to normal at that point? Yeah, I think a lot of uh, festivals will have to have that question about what are you going to do? Are you going to because I think the virtual probably opens the door for them to be able to make more sales. However, I think that it hurts the city's economy. I think that there's a lot in, I think there's a lot that Salt Lake City and, and other cities can uh, can take in from just hosting these festivals, right? You're, you're hosting thousands of people, a lot of them from across the world. They're all coming. You're, so much money is being generated through the economy. I, I think that, I don't think we'll see completely wide open uh kind of virtual festivals continue. I think that a lot of these cities would probably want to get it back to the way it used to be just because they want to create the revenue, hotels, restaurants, all that other stuff. But uh, we'll see. I think it definitely is something that some places might um, might keep open as an option because it is a way for the festivals to definitely generate more income abroad. Yeah, and I think that's the thing you have to consider is that for Park City, where this is typically held, um, that's their economy for the year. Um, it just brings in crazy amounts of business and crazy amounts of money. Um, and so I know Sundance, as an organization, is probably ready to get back to that and to continue to invest in the community um, like they've done for you know so many decades at this point. Yeah. Um, one thing I remember, I'm just trying to get the actual statistic here, but TIFF... Uh, in Toronto because so I went in person two years ago and then obviously last year to the virtual they lost out on a lot of money having to change to virtual just the city of Toronto as a whole I think there was one of the best years for revenue I think uh, was the mid 2010s I forget exactly what year but I just pulled up the figure yeah 2013 um, they generated 200 million the city of Toronto and just businesses in Toronto from TIFF alone so 
it, it it's big for the economy, and I think festivals will want to get back to that. But uh, the the virtual is very handy and very accessible. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I'm I'm looking to go back next year, hopefully, uh, hopefully in person. But uh, we'll see how 2021 shakes out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the topic that's kind of on everyone's mind is all the Kong versus Godzilla memes. Uh, it's been very fertile meme ground. It's like what Sonic the Hedgehog was last year, where there were yeah. just memes everywhere. Uh, what are what are some of your favorites? Honestly, uh, I think there's some funny ones. I think uh, there's one that I sent uh, that I sent to our group chat there. Uh, the uncut gems one. You got uh, Howard Ratner betting on it. <laughs> Great meme. And then you got the one with Scorsese, and it's like. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not even going to say it, but it's just uh, he, he, he's betting Kong as well. It seems like all the memes are running to King Kong. I think uh, Godzilla was like the choice of wisdom for years. Like that's kind of your, in theory, that's who you choose. But the memes are going for uh, the big gorilla. Yeah, well, and I saw a poll on fandom um, yesterday or two days ago that was saying that like 60% uh, were leaning towards King Kong. Uh, which kind of surprised me Uh, because like you said like Godzilla is kind of the bigger brand especially in this universe where we've had you know two Godzilla movies and one Kong movie when he was just baby Kong Um, so I'm I'm kind of surprised although I am uh, team Kong I I want big monkey all the way (laughs) Uh, okay so here's here's the actual statistic so uh, according to fandom it was 50, 57% of Instagram users and 40.6% of Twitter users were Team Kong. And mm. then 43% of uh, Instagram users and 38.5% of Twitter users were Team Godzilla. Uh, so it seems that, like Instagram favors Kong by quite a bit, but Twitter was pretty close. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh I don't know what that means. I don't know what the demographics are there and what kind of shakes up into those polls, but uh, um, it, it is definitely an interesting little split. And I think the trailer definitely, uh, King Kong had to have paid off the trailer guy because they really did uh, <laughs> give, they let him, they let him what, what he do with the, uh, I mean, everyone was saying, well, Godzilla can blow fire, right? He breathes like this. King Kong grabs, uh, he grabs this big thing. He just repels it back. <laughs> He debunked the uh, the fire breathing. Yeah, I mean, he's got opposable thumbs. So Godzilla mm-hmm. drops something. That's it. He's not picking it back up. Yeah. Kong drops something. He can pick it back up. He can make tools. Um, I'm assuming he has like a normal gorilla brain. He's smarter. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he doesn't rely on like nuclear energy. Like Godzilla needs to recharge. You know, he's just pure, just pure animal. And yeah. um, Big Monkey's going to walk away uh, with the <laughs> lizard on the ground. I still am thinking it's, they got to do a draw of some sort, I think. I think they got to, at the end, something will happen and they'll draw. Maybe they'll just call it a day. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to it. I think we got a little bit over a month here, maybe two months almost, until uh, until it comes out. Yeah. I know a lot of people are thinking that you know, it's going to be like Mecha Godzilla is actually who we think Godzilla is, and they're going to like team up. I'm I'm sure at some point both of them will be punching the same different monster. Yeah. Uh, but there's got to be like a first or second act 
uh, battle between these two. Oh, definitely. It looks like there's there's at least one in the city, and there's at least one in the ocean. So, uh, but yeah, my money is on Big Monkey. Um, it's just there's no contest there in my mind. Uh, should be good. Um, so yeah, that is that's uh, some more hot takes on Godzilla. Um, and then we'll just run through the Netflix top ten for a little bit. Um, so nothing crazy. I don't feel like any of the streaming services really had a major release this week. Um, so, you know, Netflix is going on the a new movie every week, but you can't drop, you know, Six Underground or Marriage Story every single week. Um, sometimes you got to drop these smaller movies so that you can save the rest of your money for Martin Scorsese. Um, <laughs> so I'll just go through the top 10. So in the number one spot was Below Zero. Number two, Finding Ohana. Number three, The Dig. Number four, The Next Three Days. Number five, Homefront. Number six, The Vanished. Number seven, We Can Be Heroes. Number eight, Penguin Bloom. Number nine, Penguins of Madagascar. And number ten, Outside the Wire. Um, so there's nothing too crazy. It's it's swayed a lot more towards um, Netflix originals this week, uh, which is just kind of to be expected a lot of the time. Um, but there's nothing, you know, no, no real surprises. I'm a little disappointed. There's no illumination this week, uh, <laughs> but there is a DreamWorks movie. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of movies on here that I have no idea what they are. Very interesting. One of the first weeks where I could probably say, I only know maybe three of these movies, maybe four, but yeah, it's, it's really an interesting list. Um, is the new Naomi Watts Netflix original on there? Is that one of these? Yeah, that is Penguin Bloom, uh, which right. is at number eight. Okay. Yeah, I saw that on the Netflix page the other day. But yeah, I mean, I don't know too much here. We Can Be Heroes is still holding on. but Yeah, it was just people seem to love uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl characters again. <laughs> Even, you know, the other day, I uh, so I substitute teach um, during the week. And this kid was asking me if I knew who Shark Boy and Lava Girl were. And I was like, what do you mean? I I know who they are. I grew up with the original movie. Like, yeah. Don't don't come to me asking if I know who Sharkboy <laughs> and Lava Girl are. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You got to teach them. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's an interesting list. I think we'll see some more high profile movies in the next few weeks. With, I think Malcolm and Marie comes next week or something like that. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that for sure. Yeah, and I think part of the reason is they are holding off a little bit because of Sundance, because that is going to take up a lot of people's attention. Mm-hmm. So especially if you're trying to get critics on board with anything, they're a little bit more focused elsewhere. And so I think that's probably why uh, this week was pretty light overall. That, and it's just January, which is typically not a very exciting month for movies anyways. Yeah, no, 100%. I would, uh, I would agree. So that is Netflix. Uh, nothing, nothing too crazy. Probably won't be anything too crazy uh, for the next couple of weeks. But we have been watching stuff independently. Um, so what have you been watching uh, lately? So the first movie I wanted to touch on um, uh, is Antebellum because that was one of my most anticipated movies of um, 2020. And oh my god, it was so bad. I don't know. Did did you check out this movie at all? Uh, I did not. <laughs> um, yeah, this is th- this was a little bit of a mess here, and 
so I was really excited for it, and it's, it's it was really upsetting. But I, I remember when it came out, it got kind of bad reviews, so I kind of held off on watching it. I what didn't really feel like I had needed to see it so urgently, so I waited, and uh, finally that twenty dollar rental price went down, so I, I rented it recently. Um, and yeah, it was just I don't want to go too deep into it, but it was. A lot of the movie was, I wouldn't say it was super confusing, but they had this twist in it that was really, I think they wanted it to wow me, but really it kind of just, it kind of confused me a little bit. But um, it's a movie that I think wanted to say something, but there's really not much there to say. I think it was definitely a, uh, definitely a message that they wanted to kind of, kind of convey, but it just wasn't there. And it seemed like they were definitely going out or going for kind of a get out vein with a lot of this movie and a lot of what they did, but it just didn't quite land for me at all. I love Janelle Monáe. I think she's great, but uh, this was a complete disaster. Um, So this week, though, I did watch two Peter Berg and Mark Wahlberg movies. Uh, So I watched Patriot's Day. I think this is the first time I may have watched bits and pieces of it. So this is about the Boston bombing. Uh, It came out in 2016. I enjoyed this movie. I think it was good. I think some people looked at Peter Berg and they criticized him for glorifying disasters. I think that's what some people have, have mentioned about him before. And I do see it at times, but I think Patriot's day there, there are a lot of respectful moments, especially at the end um, with a lot of the interviews they show from people who were there that day. This is also probably in my opinion, Mark Wahlberg, uh, one of his best performances. Um, I don't find him to be a fantastic actor. Uh, I think he's just all right. He does what he needs to do. He just looks like he's a macho man in uh, in movies, right? But I think in this movie he's pretty good. There are some good scenes where he kind of breaks down, and you see you side of him that he doesn't really show um, on the big screen. So I think he, he this is definitely one of his best performances, and it's a movie with a lot of tension. And Peter Berg does tension well, and I think 2016 was certainly a great year for him. Oh my gosh, have they gone downhill together with it? Uh, since then, I mean, mile was it mile 22? Was it called? Yeah. And, <laughs> And uh, obviously, with Spencer Confidential, <laughs> two movies that are just both Peter Berg, Mark Wahlberg, that are just like, um, I don't know what happened because Patriot's Day and Deepwater Horizon, I, I actually do find to be two good movies. Like, these are really solid films. So I watched, yeah, Deepwater Horizon as well. And that's a movie, I think it's a better movie than Patriot's Day. Um, there's so much tension in this movie, like for the first hour of it, before everything really just kind of explodes, quite literally, you feel the tension winding in this movie slowly and like just just conversations between characters. You can tell there's something going on here. Um, so both are really entertaining. I just it's kind of upsetting that the movies since then between these two uh, collaborators have been just so bad. Yeah, I can't say I'm very familiar with their collaborations, uh, but I completely agree with Marky Mark. Um, I, th- I think he hits sometimes, and then a lot of times it's just like like a wall, basically. <laughs> just he's there to do his action beats. Um, I think like when he's used uh, to his strengths, which is just kind of being loud and aggressive, um, which I, th- I think he does a really good job of in Boogie Nights and a really good job of in The Departed. I think he works really mm-hmm. well. But when he's mm-hmm. kind of that heroic leading man, like, uh, and sorry to bring up Transformers, but in Transformers uh, 4 <laughs> and uh, the fifth one, which I never saw, um, 
it just doesn't work very well. It feels really hammy and cheesy. Yeah, and you know what? Um, I, I look at uh, Mark Wahlberg and I look at their collaborations. They've done six movies together. And uh, I think, yeah, I think it's six movies they've done together. I don't know if you've seen Lone Survivor, um, but that's, I think, the first one they did together. I, I enjoyed Lone Survivor. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I enjoyed it. Um, but genuinely, Patriot's Day and Deepwater Horizon are good movies, genuinely. But they have just, I don't know if they'll ever get it back because uh, Mile 22 and Spencer Confidential are just not good. <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, it's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then I haven't, I, I did, uh, watch officially, I've seen all of George Lucas's, uh, filmography now, um, which isn't very extensive. You know, obviously Star Wars is kind of the big one that, that everybody's seen, which he directed episodes one through four, not in that order. Um, but then he did two movies, um, beforehand. And I think one thing that, that really gets overshadowed with George Lucas is that when he was at UCLA, when he was in college, um, he was considered one of the most, like one of the hottest indie, um, just avant-garde filmmakers out there. Which you watch something like Star Wars and you're like, you, it, there's a disconnect. It doesn't really make sense. Um, and even when you watch American Graffiti, uh, which was his first big success and which kind of launched him into Star Wars, you still don't get that feel. Uh, but with THX 1138, which was his first um, theatrical release, which was one of American Zotrope's only uh, productions that actually went into production, um, you really get the feel of guerrilla documentarian George Lucas. Um, so this was based on a short that he did in college, which got him a lot of national attention um, and which was just universally adored. Um, because of how avant-garde and how just different it was. Um, so it's it's sci-fi um, coming out of an era where sci-fi was very sleek and shiny and, and Star Trek-y. Um, this really kind of grounds it and gives it a, an almost 1984 feel. Um, it gives it more of an apocalyptic sci-fi, which we'll later see um, done a little bit differently in Star Wars. Um, but it... It really gives you a different idea. Um, there's a lot of like very uncomfortable close-ups, um, just to people's eyes, and just the way he uses the camera. Um, it's it's very documentary style inside this scripted movie. Um, really gives credit to the George Lucas that people knew before Star Wars, which I don't think we've ever really seen since Star Wars, um, just because he's been so focused on that until its retirement. But it was nice to finally interact with that side of him and it, it puts his his friendship with Francis Ford Coppola into perspective and his work with American Zotrope because it really is this envelope pushing uh, guerrilla style filmmaking yeah um, I find it interesting that his filmography is so small uh, only I think as you mentioned there's six movies or so but like I, I guess after the early Star Wars days and all that money that poured in he didn't really need to make any more movies yeah. <laughs> and uh, and that's the thing is, you know, he was so consumed with turning Star Wars into this, you know, brand that was into merchandising and, and VFX. And I think people don't really look at how big Lucasfilm really was because, um, you know, he created Pixar on accident. Um, he pushed the boundaries of visual effects and ILM was involved with pretty much 
every blockbuster movie until the early 2000s when other studios finally came around to being able to compete. Um, and he pushed just Star Wars and merchandising and books. And, you know, he, he was literally running an empire. Um, so he didn't really have time to direct until he got rid of it. And so you look at, you know, some of his later producing work, which, um, you know, with Red Tails is pretty well documented how he kind of hijacked the project midway through. Um, and this was right around the time that he was selling Star Wars. Um, um, and he just did a lot of meddling in the post-production, which he's, he's kind of known to do. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think he ever really had time. And I think he was so kind of worn out with Star Wars that, you know, once he retired, he didn't really feel the need to commit himself into that again. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting for sure. But uh, that the movie you did watch there, that's definitely one that I want to check out at some point. Same with uh, American Graffiti there, his his first. Yeah, I, I will say American Graffiti doesn't age as well, um, especially in the Me Too era. There are a couple things that feel really uncomfortable. Uh, Harrison Ford's character Bob Falfa in particular, but it is it is a a fun movie. Like it, it feels very reminiscent of the 1950s feel and that idea of an idealized like teenager's life. Um, and it is fun to see Ron Howard act because uh, you know being born after the 1980s, I don't really have a lot of exposure with him as an actor. It's mainly him as a director. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, but yeah, also, uh, one other thing about that recent film there, was it, uh, sorry, it's, it's more of a sci-fi film, as you said, right? Yeah, it's, it's definitely more of that kind of classic idea of sci-fi, of, of being something to actually, you know, look at what are the implications of technology and advancement rather than, you know, Star Wars, which is pretty much fantasy. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, it does seem interesting. I have read I've read a little bit of, about the movie. Uh, I think a while back, but I've never got the chance to see it. Where did you check it out? Did you uh, rent it somewhere? Or? Uh, so I actually bought it a couple months ago, only to find out that the used disc that I bought didn't work. Uh, but then yes. it dropped on HBO Max, so I cut it there. <laughs> okay, too bad, man. Too bad. Um. So yeah, that that is uh, George Lucas as a director, and of course, I'll always revisit Star Wars. Um, man has directed more memes than any other director combined. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing we can definitely give to him: more memes. Uh, but yeah, that is kind of what's going on uh, with the Movie Bible podcast um, and everything at Sundance. I'm sure Nick's already been updating uh, with his his reactions quite a bit. I'm sure we'll get a lot more detail from him as he rounds out the week um, and as Sundance kind of dies down over the next few days. Um, we'll be back uh, talking about more movies, probably talking about more WandaVision. Uh, so remember, you can always check us out online at moviebabble.com. 